27, we're talking, uh, we're analyzing the Mishnah, all about the Ma'amadot, the representatives of Yisrael, who will join along and uh, be uh, the representatives of the entire Jewish people, while the Kohanim are making the uh, daily Korban Tamid and Musaf offerings for the community. So the Mishnah said, Elohen Ma'amadot, and then it said, And this is a curious transition. So we ask, if you're saying these are the Ma'amadot, and then you give a source for it. So you'd expect it to explain these are the Ma'amadot and tell us what the Ma'amadot are. So we're just wondering about that style of language. And the Gemara answers, So these are the Ma'amadot we're going to say in a minute at the after this paragraph. But first, before we explain what the Mamadot are, we want to know what's the source and reason for which they, uh, the, they decreed that there should be these uh, non uh, non representatives. It's because of because the Pasuk says for Korban Tamid that you should command all of Bnei Israel and they are they're going to offer it, going to offer it. And as Mishnah says, how can someone offer a sacrifice, a sacrifice if he's not even there? I mean, actually, technically, you could send a messenger, right? Well, but that's exactly what we're doing. You need someone, a messenger, to, to be there to represent all those who are giving it. Therefore, you don't want to have an empty Bet HaMikdash, just the Kohanim doing something on behalf of people who aren't there at all. So and therefore, the early prophets arranged for 24 different watches, and each one, each of the watches had um, at this ma'amad, uh, the, the, uh, the people standing there, the representatives in Jerusalem. So you had, they were made up of kohanim, levim, and yisraelim. Uh, which sounds from here like uh, the Kohanim and, and Levim would be serving, but also representing all other Kohanim and Levim. And Yisraelim would be representing all of the rest of the tribes. As the Mishnah said, when uh, it came time for their turn, so Kohanim and Levim, they had to go to Jerusalem because they, they, they're actually serving. So they need to be in the Beit HaMikdash. Um, okay, so that's the Mishnah. Now we're going to see uh, some Braithot that are going to elaborate on it. Tenura Banan. There were 24 of these uh, uh, priestly families in Israel and 12 in, in, in Yericho. Um, now, this doesn't add up to 24. No, that's going to be too many. That's going to be 36. So it has to be 24 altogether. What it means is that there's 24 in Israel in total, and 12 of them happened to be happened to live in Yericho. That was a city where a lot of Kohanim lived. When it was their time, half of it, half of half of the group would go. From uh, from wherever they were in Israel to Jerusalem, and the uh, the other half uh, would go from Yericho 
um, so that the people that stayed behind, either in the, whatever city they were in Israel, including if there was one of the 12 from Yericho, they would stay home to provide water and food for those in Jerusalem. So you can't have everybody just leave because someone has got to take care of the farms and the supply chain. Uh, according to some opinions, they would switch off three days here and three days there so that everyone could serve. Shemuel says that you need the Kohanim and Levi'im, or, or any Sri'im, all you need everyone there. And if you don't do that, the sacrifice is invalid. You need all of them to be there representing each of their groups. This is a Braita that's a little bit uh, different because now it says Kohanim and Levi'im. And it adds uh, also with the instruments that they would play. It doesn't have Yisraelim. How come this one adds instruments? Uh, the question is, when they're, they're singing, is the main thing that the vocals, the a cappella? So that would be the first opinion, that you need the kwanim, the levim there. Hopefully they'll bring, bring their instruments, it'll make it nicer. But if they don't, it's okay too. And the second one says, no, the main thing of the, the main part of the, of the song are the instruments. And then therefore it says, you have to bring the instruments. The second one doesn't say Israel, but, uh, but it's the same point. Israel also have to have some representatives there. Okay, Amadav Chama, Barguria Amadav. We're now going to see uh, three Baraitot that trace the history of these families. If you want to know what the families are, there's a list. Some, some uh, uh, old synagogues in the Galilee used to have a list of watches. They used to read them off uh, throughout the year, even after the Bet HaMikdash was destroyed. And so these are the different uh, names and cities that they were associated, associated with. So this is really fascinating. And by the way, if you look in the back of some Sidurim, you'll see the reading of the Ma'amad is still there. And uh, some people like to say this. Um, uh, those sections from Parashat Bereshit. So this, this practice went, went on for a long time and it has a long history. So let's see, this is the first now of tracing the history. I'm out of, uh, uh, um, this is the name of Rav. Um, in the time of Moshe Rabbeinu, there was only eight families of Kohanim. There weren't that many people. Uh, and they have, to, they have to rotate, so they would serve more often. Two of Aharon's sons who, who, who survived, so four from Elazar's family and four from Itamar's family. Eventually, they became more numerous and there's more families. Shemuel, Shemuel made them 16. And in David's time, they became 24. Um, right, during David's time is still in Mishkan, but he was preparing to the transition over to the Bet HaMikdash, and that would be, now more people are involved. This pasuk is from Devarim chapter 26. If you go and look there, you'll see that the three chapters from before list all family names of Kohanim and Levim and all the people that served. And there here it says in the 40th year of King David, um, they were sought for and they were found, the mighty men, meaning the people that are going to serve. Now, in the 40th year of David, Shemuel was already dead. And so therefore, um, there's, uh, there's three steps, according to Rav Chama Barguria in the name of Rav. Moshe had eight, then Shemuel made it 16, and David is the one that made it 24. 
Okay, so far so good. But now we have a second Baraita that's a little bit different from the first. But we'll reconcile it, don't worry. That's the same so far. Moshe did four and four, that's eight. But here it says, David and Shemuel, which sounds like they're working together, made it 24. So you see there's only two steps, eight and then all the way to 24. And the pasuk that they quote is, uh, also, I mean, a little bit uh, earlier in the book, it says David and Shemuel ordained these offices. So how, how do we resolve this contradiction? And the answer is, <laughs> What the second Baraita means, and the, and, the, and the Pasuk that it quotes, is that uh, is through the ordination of David and, and, and Shemuel, eventually there were 24. Uh, but if you want, so this is more of a generality. If you want to know in particular how it came to be so, then you look at this Baraita and it was really three steps and David is the one that finished it off to 24, but it was based on the expansion that Shemuel already made. All right, good. So we're able to reconcile those two. And now we have another one that's going to be more difficult to reconcile. Tanya idach, Moshe tiken lemisrael According to this version, Moshe made uh, 16, eight from one, eight from El Azad and eight from Itamad. So you see, you can't reconcile this with the previous. And then the sons of El Azad grew more. They had more kids than Itamad. And so they had to get more shares, more, more, more clans and more watches. So they split his eight, um, you know, like when you split shares and you get double the amount of shares. So they, those eight turned into 24 of Elazad, whereas Itamad remained the same and had, had only eight. Again, in in that section, this is in Pasuk 24, they went and they counted and they found that Elazad was more than the people, than the men of uh, Itamad, and therefore separated them, split them off, and doubled uh, El Azar. There you go, the Pasuk says explicitly that was 16 and 4. Okay, this Pasuk is adding another, this Pasuk is adding another Pasuk, we're going to add. What does this Pasuk add? The, the meaning is that there was a father's house, a clan, uh, taken for El Azar, and, uh, and, and then has a doubled for Itamar. So this Achuz Achuz means, I guess, proportionally, they're, are, they're saying it means here, for Itamar. Okay, so now my ve'omer, what does this pasuk add here that uh, that you're adding on to the b'raita? Maybe you'll think that just like Al-Azar grew, so too the family of Itamar grew. Maybe Itamar was originally four, right? I mean, this b'raita says explicitly it was eight and eight, but if you had only the pisukim, and you might say, well, one grew more than the other, but maybe they both grew to some degree. And originally it was four. Moshe had four and four, and then it and then it grew to eight and, and sixteen. So you might have thought that. Therefore, the second pasu comes and says, Tashima bet av echad achuz Therefore, the second pasuk says 
that it's uh, one father's house for Elazad, proportionally for Itamad, and proportionally their descendants were fewer, and therefore they, they didn't grow, and uh, you, so you don't say that. And according to this, this would be a conclusive um, disproof against the, the, that first Baraita that we had before, who starts with four, because here it says that they didn't grow at all, not that they grew less, less proportionally, they don't grow at all, it started off with um, with with eight and eight. Uh, okay, so now what's what's uh, what are they going to do with it with this? They have an answer to No, it's a tanaim, and I could follow the other Braita, right? We saw he quotes a Braita too, so he doesn't have to worry about that. Okay, all this that we saw so far was all talking about the first Beta Mikdash, right? When David was uh, uh, was preparing and, and Shemuel and Moshe before that, um, Moshe at the Mishkan, and then the first Beta Mikdash, they had those 24 families set out. However, when the first Beta Mikdash was destroyed and these families then went into exile to Bavel, um, only four came back to Eretz Israel for the, the rebuilding of the second Bet HaMikdash, which is not a very big uh, percentage, right? Four out of 24. It shows how they got, they got comfortable in Bavel and, uh, you know, and uh, didn't, uh, didn't come back, even though there was a thriving state of Israel. Hard to imagine, um, but that's, that's, what, that's what happened. Okay, so now what, what, what did they do? So the four that came back were Yedayah, Chadim, Pashkun, Imer. And so the prophets that were there, this is the early prophets, the, the, late, the late prophets that were still around, like uh, Haggai and Zechariah, they split them and they made them uh, in charge of all 24, right? So there's only four families, but all four families have to cover the watches of the of the 24 families that used to be there. So how they do that? They put down the names of the 24 watches on paper and put them into a lottery box. So the first family that came back, he would uh, he took, of, of course, his own. He was one of the original 24 families and he picked five more out of there. So he was in charge of six watches altogether. Kharim did the same thing. They also took in that way, those four families were in charge of everything. The other Kohanim that stayed in Babel, that's it. They uh, they lost their chance. Um, a couple of them did come back. So and so then the Nevi'im said, should one of the other people come back, like Yehoyariv, and he, if he comes to Eretz Yisrael, makes Aliyah, he will not push away Yedaya, because Yedaya picked him, right? Yedaya took his own and, um, and others, including Yehoyariv. Because Yehoyariv did not make Aliyah, uh, at the right time and, and come and help out in the beginning of the Beit HaMikdash, he lost his place. If he comes back, he will still serve, but he'll be subordinate to um, Yedaya. He'll have to serve you know, at the end, wherever, wherever Yedaya will be, will be the boss and tell Yoyariv where and when he can serve. All right.
Okay, so now the, that, that was the Kohanim. Yisraelim, during that time, some Yisrael would be in Jerusalem, but they didn't all have to be. Whoever was uh, not near Jerusalem, they would go to um, uh, a, a, a Bet Knesset or assembly in their town and read the sections from Bereshit Perek Aleph. What's the source? Why should they read that section? Want to read? I don't know. Parashat Tashavu or something else. Amar Biyakov Baracha Amar Asi Il Malim Amadot Lo Nitkayimu Shamayim Vaaris Shneimal VaYomar Adonai Elohim Bamaedaki Irashena. So the basic reason is because if not for the reading of these watches, the uh, heavens and earth would not be fulfilled. Uh, would not would not continue. Uh, that we need someone uh, constantly bringing the korbanot, and these are the people that are bringing them. And uh, we derive this further from the conversation Abraham has be, uh, at Brit Ben Abitarim. Uh, Abraham says, Hashem, how do I know that I'm going to inherit the land? And what he means is not only just personally, he means for long, for long term, how his descendants will continue to inherit the land. What's, in, what's implied in this question is, um, maybe if Israel should ever sin, maybe you will wipe them out like you already did the generation of the flood or the generation of dispersion at Migdal Bavel. And so, right, so he wants, he wants to know, not that he's going to just inherit the land short term, um, but that it will last uh, for many, many generations, forever. Amad le'lav, Hashem says, no, I won't. Don't worry. Trust me. I'm not going to destroy them. And Abraham presses further and says, tell me, by what merit will we, have, will, will, will we be, be able to inherit and have the land? And so Hashem says, take for me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old goat, a three-year-old ram, and so on. And so while the immediate context there is talking about Brit ben Abitarim, this Midrash is taking it as sacrifices in general. As long as you're doing right, all these korbanot, these are our basic offerings, showing our allegiance and our, uh, our fundamental commitment every single day of the year. So that's why we read the 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 Bereshit Aleph because the whole foundation of the of the world is dependent on us doing that, right? You see it in this conversation, and if uh, so, therefore we're uh, acknowledging because of the korban that we are representing today. That's why the heavens and earth are, are continue to exist. Now we have a problem. Fine, that's fine. When we have a, temp- a temple, what about when it's destroyed? Now we won't. We don't have sacrifices. What are we going to do? Says, don't worry. I uh, already I I, I um, enacted the offerings, and as long as you read it, I'll make it as if you actually sacrificed it. You don't need to do the the sacrifice. Hashem doesn't benefit. Hashem doesn't eat eat it or drink the blood that you're putting on there. It's just rather the idea of it that's important. And even by saying it, by praying on a regular basis in shaharit and mincha, we are showing that daily commitment. 
just the same as if we are actually making the korbanot. And therefore, and through that, I will um, pardon their, tra- their transgressions, and that way the, uh, the berit will continue, and the Jewish people will continue, and the world will continue. And so don't worry about it. You have something, you have a replacement. All right, so that's why we mention the korbanot every day. Now next, another The people of the Mishmar would pray for the uh, uh, the Mishmar, meaning the other Kohanim. Remember that the Kohanim were all they were split uh, into Mishmarot, and within each Mishmar they divided them into six, so that each each day of the week only one uh, group would serve on that day. So the other five groups would, um, uh, they're not doing the, the physically, they're not physically doing the sacrifice. So they would pray for, for their brothers that, they, um, that the, they would do everything correctly and that their offering would be accepted with favor. Um, now, the people of the Ma'ad, that's the Israel, when they gathered in Bet Knesset, they would fast for four days of the week. Right, we said Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Each day they would have in mind a specific group. On Monday they would say for those who are traveling by sea, and that's dangerous. On Tuesday for those who are traveling in the de- through the desert, and they're dangerous. We hope that they'll be safe. Um, for Thursday, uh, uh, sorry, Wednesday, right? Um, it's for uh, that children should not get to, get a disease of croup. And Bachamishi al ubarotu menikotu baroshelo yapido menikotche yeniko et benehem for those who are pregnant that they should not have a miscarriage, and for those who are nursing that they will successfully nurse their infants. Okay, beautiful. They have different people in mind. Why each of these on different days? The commentaries offer various uh, possible solutions, but none of them are quite convincing. Uh, they do seem to parallel the four things that we say berkata gomel for, but it does. It's not quite exact. Um, okay. Anyway, ubeedif Shabbat lo Shabbat and we don't fast on Friday because we want to enter into Shabbat, not when we're fasting and disheveled, but we want to enter into Shabbat in an honorable way, and certainly not on Shabbat when it's misfat to have onik Shabbat and one is not allowed to fast. But why not on Sunday? This is a fascinating reason because Christians they took Sunday to be their day of rest. And when the people are fasting, when the Jews of the Anshe Ma'amad are fasting, they're also not working. And so then their people are going to look at them and say, oh, I guess you turned, uh, you're, you're, you're following Christianity. Uh, you know, you're resting on Sunday. And so in order not to look, even look like the, 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 the people that uh, that do so not, not to look like a Christian worshiper. Therefore, they said no fasting on Sunday at all. So this is only for polemical reasons. That's very interesting. Now, the Bishimal Banachmani Ma'amad, a different reason. Because it's the third day after a person is created. Now, we know that when someone does undergoes a surgery or uh, gets an injury or something, the third day of recovery. Um, is the is the most difficult day? We, we saw that from uh, Brit Milah of uh, Abraham and of Shem. 
So, and uh, so the third day, now all the more so if someone's actually being created, that's, you know, there's no surgery bigger than that. And so therefore, since mankind was created on Friday and then Shabbat Sunday, Sunday, we feel weak. Now uh, that was true in the first day of creation, but it repeats itself every week, right? We're always kind of created uh, uh, anew. Um, and so therefore on Sundays, we feel weak. We need, uh, we need to recover from being recreated on, on Friday. And truth is, if you ask anyone who makes Aliyah, the most difficult part of it is uh, not having a Sunday, right, to, to, uh, to, to rest. Sundays are just a regular workday in Israel. Um, so you see from here that, so that's why that, they didn't fast on Sunday, because they're still feeling weak. Okay, that's the second. That's the second reason. Another reason that is because of the extra soul that a person gets on Friday uh, on erev Shabbat and has with them over Shabbat. But then when Shabbat is over, we lose that extra neshama. And we learn this from the Pasuk, says Shabbat, once you finished resting on Shabbat, then which uh, they split into two words here, saying, whoa, my, my, my soul has, is, has gone. Uh, that's why we do Besamim, so we can revive ourselves a little, not faint from losing that soul. You can also just learn it more simply, it means to sigh, right? To take a, uh, make a, take a breath out. And with that breath after Shabbat, right, we lose that soul. Therefore, we feel weak after that, after uh, enjoying so much on Shabbat and uh, not having it on Sunday. So therefore, we can't fast on Sunday. All right. All this is very curious because if you remember in the Mishnah, the Mishnah actually gave a reason why we, we don't fast on Sunday. This is the Mishnah, according to the printed edition, uh, the regular printed edition of Mishnah, going back to the first printed edition in, in Napoli, and the Mishnah that we have in the Talmud Bavli has all this that we just read. And then it says that we fast four days, uh, four days a year, and uh, says not on the first, not on Sunday, so we don't make a sudden transition from rest and enjoyment to uh, t- being tired and fasting. And then we will die because we, our bodies aren't used to it and you can't go from one extreme to the other. So the Mishnah has a reason. And then we, the Gemara just ignores this Mishnah altogether and gives three completely different reasons. This is really, really curious. And I think it points to the possibility that maybe this part of the Mishnah uh, even though it's in our printed edition, was not part of the uh, was not in the original Mishnah. And uh, first of all, it would read a lot more smoothly if you had that, because then it would say the uh, th- those they, they would gather in their cities and read Bereshit. And right after that, what would they read? And so on. And in fact, if you look at the uh, oldest and best complete manuscript of the Mishnah, which is the man- manuscript owned by David Kaufman. It's uh, in Budapest uh, currently, and um, my son was about to go to Budapest before lockdown, and, uh, but they weren't going to let him see it anyway because of security and COVID reasons. Um, anyway, so you, if you see here, it says this is the beginning of the Pedic, and you have, uh, they would all gather in and read Maaseh Bereshit, and then it says, what would they read? Bayomadishon Bereshit, and it doesn't have that entire paragraph 
that I mentioned here. This entire paragraph is not part of the original Mishnah. There you go. And you don't find it in early sources. And already in the 1500s, the Tosafot Yom Tov, Rabbi Yom Tov Heller, a student of the Maharami Prague, uh, noticed this and said, um, uh, uh, if you look in more exacting versions, they don't have that paragraph. And so that is that paragraph was not original, was not found in front before the Amoraim in Bavel who wrote this sugya. We don't know where it comes from, it's not a braita anywhere. Uh, it's some commentary that someone made that somehow snuck into. The, 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 the later printed editions of the Mishnah and of the Tamud Bavli. All right, super interesting. And now we go on to the next. Right, every day, we, really it would make, more, make sense to, on, on Yom Rishon, we'd read what was created on Yom Rishon. On Yom Sheni, read what was created on Yom Sheni. But you don't have enough Pesukim that way. So therefore we have to read two days Everyone, we have to read two days of creation every day of the week uh, throughout history. So, Tana, Bereshit Bishnaim, Yirakia Be'echad. And now when you do that, you have three aliyot. So whoever reads Bereshit, will, that will be two aliyot. And then Yirakia, the next paragraph will be one aliyah. That second paragraph is three pesukim, so it makes sense. Three pesukim, one aliyah. Every aliyah has to be at least three pesukim. That's halacha till today. But uh, the first paragraph of Bereshit is five pesukim. So then, how well, how will that help? You can't split five into two parts without uh, having less than. Without having at least three, so here I'll show you with this right. The first paragraph. So if we read only the first paragraph on Sunday, which is all we really need to read, there's only five pesukim. There's no way to divide that into three people. So we add an extra one. Fine, the extra one, right? The third aliyah will get one, two, three pesukim. But the first one is only five pesukim. You can't split five into three and three. So how are we going to send two um, two people for an aliyah in one paragraph? Here's two solutions. Rav Amar Doleg. Ushmel Amar Posek. Rav says, Doleg means you skip, skip backwards. You'll read um, Aleph, Bet, Gimel. That's the first Aliyah. And then you skip backwards. Like we, we, like we just did on Chanukah. No, Chanukah we didn't. Like we do in uh, other, other times of the year, right? We do that. Um, one, two, three. And then um, we'll go back to three, three, four, five. That'll be the second Aliyah. That's what you do. According to Shemuel, you break it in the middle. You just say, period, that's it. And then the next Ole will come and say, so each one is two and a half pesukim. But we can repunctuate. Or maybe it's re- maybe that's really short. Maybe it repunctuates some, somehow else and take this paragraph and make add an extra sof pasuk somewhere in the middle. And that, that way you have three pesukim for each. Okay, so now why do they disagree with each other? Rav, Rav says you repeat a pasuk and not split it, split it up. 
Anana This is any pasuk that Moshe did not put a sof pasuk there. We are not authorized to add extra punctuation, right? The punctuation is original. Although in the Sefer Torah and the original Torah, you didn't have any punctuation at all. That's part of the oral tradition of how to read it and where to put the, the ending of each pasuk. So we can add, we cannot add any on our own. That makes sense. Shemuel Amar Posek, Umi Paskinan. Shemuel says, you do add. Wait, can you do that? We have a story. Hamar Bichanina Kara. The Bichanina, the Kara, the Bible expert. He was, a, he was an expert in, in reading. Can they would teach reading to kids? Sa'ad Gadol, Hayali Eser Bichanina Hagadol. And he said, he's another Chanina. He's, he's Chanina Kara. But Bichanina Hagadol, the great sage says, Anytime if I wanted to stop in the middle, he wouldn't let me, unless I'm teaching little kids. Because they have to learn. And sometimes there's a long pasuk. It's impossible to teach a kid. It's too long. You have to split it into small parts. That's a good educational technique. So we see from this that. If at all possible, you're not supposed to add extra uh, periods. Shemuel would say to that, well, in that case, why did he allow it for kids? Because it's impossible to teach if it's too long. Here also, it's impossible to send up two, two people for an aliyah if there's only five pisukim. There's no other way. So you're right. Ideally, we don't want to split pisukim and add more punctuation. But... When we have no choice, we have to do it. Now, Shmuel, how come he, he doesn't agree with Rav and say, just skip back and uh, repeat a pasuk? It's a, because they're worried about people that come in late or leave early. If someone comes in late and so he sees them reading from, uh, from Pasuk Gimel, he'll assume that the first aliyah was only two pesukim and think it's allowed. Or if someone comes in late and he hears um, and the, uh, or, uh, or, or leaves, someone leaves after, and he hears Aleph Bet Gimel, and then he leaves, he'll assume, oh, the next aliyah is going to be only Dalit and He. And he'll think that the halacha is that you only need two pesukim, and then he'll go on to some village and read two pesukim. So we don't want people to think that. And that's why Shemuel does not agree with that version. All right. Metibe. Parasha shel shisha pesukim korin ota bishnaim veshel chamisha beyachid. Hold on. Now we have an objection because this baraita says if you have a parasha that's six pesukim, two people could read it, but only five pesukim, one person has to read it. Vimarishon kore shelosha, hasheni kore shenaim mi parasha zo ve echad mi parasha acheret. And if the first person, if you have only five pesukim, and the first person reads three, then you, the, the second ole will read two from that paragraph, and he has to add another from the next paragraph. And some people say he has to add three more from the next paragraph. Because once we start a paragraph, you have to read, go into that paragraph, at least three pesukim. Also, that's a halacha Um, Right, David? Right, we do that. Okay, we have a bal, uh, resident Baal Kodeh here. Okay, so so according to this, right, if you have a three, then you should add, right, read the next two and then add another one or even another three. 
But why would this Benaita say that if Rabbi Shemuel said that you can either repeat or the other Shemuel says you can split another pasuk? So Rabbi Shemuel uh, is, is, is questioned if you can do that, then this Benaita wouldn't say that it can that you have to continue reading. No, that's different because the second reader has space. We're talking about when you're reading the, the whole parasha. And so then you have a, a lot of, uh, many more paragraphs to read. So don't just read the, these last two, right? Give space. You read the whole paragraph, read all five. And if you didn't, and then, and you only read, your first one only read three or five. So the next one should continue into the next paragraph. And so therefore, anytime it's, it's possible to read more, read more and don't repeat or split it up. But um, on those few times uh, when, like in the Ma'amad or a few times that we have uh, in, in our year, we do it um, during uh, on the, the reading on Purim. We do it, right, David? Right, it's only right. It's not not enough pesukim. It's only nine pesukim, and then we have to repeat to get ten. So right, so we do it only when it's absolutely necessary. We go back and repeat. Oh, we do it on Rosh Chodesh, right? Rosh Chodesh, that the first paragraph, you have to go back one pasuk because it's not enough. And so this is the source for the reading of readings of today that everybody should have at least three. Baruch Adonai Amen.